All right, turn to Hebrews chapter 6, and we're going to continue in our series, Overwhelmed by Grace. Overwhelmed by Grace. And last week we talked about the righteousness of grace. The righteousness of grace. And this week I want to talk to you about the immutability of grace. Now I know immutability is not a word that we use in our society a lot. We don't say, you know, that was really an immutable conference where we were. So, But the word immutability means unchangeableness. Immutable means unchangeable. It's an attribute of God. And there are two attributes of grace, two unchangeable truths. This is what Hebrews tells us. We're about to read this. Two unchangeable truths that if we understand these truths, they become strong encouragement for us. And here's the key I want to tell you, an anchor to our soul. Now you think about going through a difficult time. We're going through a difficult time economically right now as a country. So when you go through a storm, whether it's a relational storm or a financial storm or a health storm, anyone ever been through a health storm, got some bad news about your health and had to go through procedures or treatment or surgery, you, you remember what it's like probably going through that storm. Well, here's what Hebrews is telling us that we're about to read. There are true, two truths about grace that are unchangeable. And if we understand these two things... They anchor our soul. Remember, your soul is your mind, your will, and emotions. So when we go through a difficult time, where's the battle? The battle's in our mind, our thoughts, our emotions, and then we have a difficult time making correct decisions or right decisions. Now, some of you know that um, Debbie and I are, are boaters. We, we like to boat. And um, we uh, have spent the night, and we'll use a boating term here. You can probably figure out what it means. But uh, it's, it's a boating term, and some of you, if you're boaters, you'll know this term. Debbie and I have spent the night on the lake, on the hook. Now, do you know what on the hook means? Anyone? At anchor. That's right. Now, um, a lot of times you spend the night on the lake, you, you, you uh, are on the mooring, which means you go to a buoy that has a huge piece of concrete. And the reason you do that is in case you have a storm. The reason you do that is because many people don't know how to anchor correctly. And if you don't anchor correctly and a storm comes up, uh, you're in trouble. It could blow you into the rocks. You could, uh, to a shallow area, have a lot of problems. So the point is that Debbie and I have done it. And I know it doesn't impress you, but it's a big deal. Okay. <laughs> I know how to anchor a boat correctly. Here's the point. When a storm comes... Will your anchor hold? Will your anchor hold? And if we don't understand these two unchangeable truths about grace, then when a storm comes, it just blows us all over the place. So I want to show them to you, all right? Hebrews chapter 6, look at verse 13. And we're going to read it slowly because I just want to make sure we catch everything that it's saying. Hebrews 6, verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham... If you were here last week, that's where we ended, talking about God's promise to Abraham. Because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And so after he, this is speaking now of Abraham, this he, after Abraham had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater. 
And an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. If you swear by someone greater, then it'll solve all dispute. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability, there's the word, the unchangeableness of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things or two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation. That word means encouragement. We might be strongly encouraged who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul. That's what we were talking about. It anchors our mind, will, and emotions, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become, now this is a key, we'll come back to it, high priest forever. Try to remember those three words, high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, here's what happened. Last week, I told you how God came to Abraham and said, Abraham, given your religious upbringing, given your background, given your knowledge of me, what I'm about to tell you is going to be hard for you to believe. But I didn't come to condemn you. I didn't come to clean your clock. I came to bless you. And Abraham believed and God put righteousness in his account. We even drew a little thing on the board so we understood that. All right? But now... Hebrews is telling us about this covenant that God made with Abraham, and it's giving us a little more insight. It says that God swore by himself. For any time men take an oath, they swear by someone greater than they are to be able to end any disputes. In other words, you've seen this before. Maybe you've even done this before, or you've seen it live, but I'm definitely, I know you've seen it on television. You ever seen someone put his hand on the Bible and raise his other hand and say, I swear, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. That person, we got this from the Bible. Our country got this from the Bible. No other country did this. And they may do it now, but we're the ones that started this. The reason is the person was taking an oath. He's calling someone to, to, he's swearing by someone greater than he is so that in essence what he's saying is if I don't tell the truth, then I'm, God's going to take care of this. And, I, and he puts his hand on the Bible because the Bible's greater. You, you understand what I'm saying? Um, in in um, my family and Debbie's family uh, from, are from the country. Uh, Debbie's family though, and I'm not trying to say anything uh, um, degrading, it's just I had to get used to this. Most of her family... Um, has the middle name Bob or Wayne. <laughs> and they, they use those middle names a lot. You know, where, where's Billy Wayne? Uh, Billy Wayne went with Jimmy Wayne. Well, where's Billy Wayne and Jimmy Wayne, Jimmy Wayne going? Well, Billy Wayne and Jimmy Wayne were going with Billy Bob and Jimmy Bob. <laughs> and they went over to Bobby Bob's house. You know, it just, it's a, uh, you just kind of get used to that. Okay, here, here, here's the only reason I'm using it. All right, I'm just going to take country people, all right? Uh, Jimmy Bob and Billy Bob decide to trade chickens. But Billy Bob and Jimmy Bob, they're not going to swear by Bobby Bob because Bobby Bob can't do anything about it. But they might swear by Johnny Bob because Johnny Bob's real big, see? And Johnny Bob will say, Jimmy Bob, you don't give Billy Bob the chickens, I'm going to whoop you. 
and then Jimmy Bob gives it. Okay, that's what that's what this is talking about. This is talking about Jimmy Bob and Billy Bob right here. Okay, here's what happened. God comes to Abraham, and he says, Abraham, I want to make a deal with you. And I don't mean deal in the bad sense of the word deal. We sometimes we think about, it, but a covenant, an agreement. I want to make an agreement with you, and uh, and and I want to take an oath to let you know I'm going to do this. So I, I, I want to swear to you. And I know that when you take an oath and when you swear, you swear by someone greater than you are. And this is God now talking to Abraham. But on the way over here, Abraham, um, I couldn't think of anyone greater than I am. So if it's all right with you, I'm going to swear on my own name. I'm going to take an oath and I'm calling me into account to make sure I enforce this oath. Is that okay with you, Abraham? Now, let me ask you something. Would that be okay with you? Would it be okay with you if God said to you, I swear to you, I swear it, and I swear to you on my own name? Now, you also have to remember what he was swearing to. Please hear this. He was swearing to bless him. He said, I swear it. I, I swear to you. I swear to you. I'm going to bless you. Now, please catch this. This is so hard for us to catch. This is Hebrews now, thousands of years later. And you know what it's telling us? In the same way. In the same way that God swore to Abraham, he swears to us. As a matter of fact, let me read you that verse. It's verse 17. But let me read it to you in the New American Standard. All right, so look at this. This might be a little different than the version you have. Hebrews 6, 17 in the New American Standard says, in the same way. By the way, do you all know what that means in the Greek? I looked it up. It means in the same way. <laughs> in the same way that God swore to Abraham. Now watch this, though. This is the phrase that, that should shock us. Desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose. Okay, here's what that says. In the same way, but even more. In the same way that God said to Abraham, I just came to bless you, but even more. To the heirs of the promise. Now the next question is, well, who are the heirs of the promise? Because here's what we think. Well, that's Abraham's natural seed. That's the Jewish people. That's not the, that's, those are not the heirs of the promise. Even though we believe in reaching the Jew. Please understand, that's not what it says. Let me read you a few verses to show you. Romans 4 verse 13 says, For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham. It wasn't even to Abraham. Or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. We talked about this last week. The righteousness that comes by faith, not by the law. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise of no effect. And then Galatians 3.29 says, And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Okay, so if I, if I believe in Jesus, I'm an heir according to the promise. And, and here, catch the, the, the weight of Hebrews 6. Here's what God says to you. I did not come to you to judge you. I didn't come to condemn you. I came to bless you. Now listen to this. And I swear it to you. You ought to be doing flip-flops on the inside right now. <laughs> you, you, it, it, and I swear it to you. 
and I'm going to confirm it with an oath. And I'm going to confirm it with two things that cannot change. And, by the way, it's impossible for me to lie. That's what we just read in Hebrews 6. I swear to you. I didn't come to mess your family up. I didn't come to hurt you. I came to bless you and your family. I came to bless you. So what are these two unchangeable things? Well, we read Hebrews 6. The unchangeable things are in chapter 7 through 10. And so we're just going to pick a few verses to highlight it. But we actually read the introduction of the first unchangeable thing. Here's, here's number one. Jesus is our high priest forever. We, we, just, we did read that in Hebrews 6. He said, Here, here's one of the unchangeable things. is Jesus is our high priest forever. Now look at chapter 7, verse 17. Hebrews 7, verse 17. It's real close so you can look at it. For he testifies, you are a priest forever. This is one of the unchangeable things. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Look at verse 23. Verse 23. Also, there were many priests, because they were prevented by death from continuing. Verse 24. But he, Jesus, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. This is the first unchangeable truth about grace. Jesus is our high priest forever. Forever. Now, uh, look, look at Hebrews chapter 10. Just flip over maybe a page or two. And we're going to read two verses, but the first verse we want to read slowly so that we really catch the impact of the second verse. This is one of the... the Best two verses in the Bible. All right, he, Hebrews 10, verse 11. And I'm, I'm going to even ask you some questions just to make sure we get it, all right? And every priest, how, how many priests? Every. Every priest stands. Do they stand or sit? Stands. Ministering daily. How often do they minister? And offering repeatedly. How do they offer these sacrifices? Repeatedly, the same sacrifices, same or different? Same, which can never, never or always, never take away sins. Now, I'm going to read it again to make sure we get this. And every priest, all of them without exception, stands, doesn't sit, stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly over and over again. The same sacrifices, now this is very important, which can never take away sins. Now watch the next verse. But this man, referring to Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. The reason he sat down was because it was finished. It was done. It was over. It was complete. And he remains our high priest forever. Forever. This is an immutable truth with God. It is an unchangeable truth. Jesus is by faith, not by the righteousness of the law, but by the righteousness of faith, by grace, Jesus is now my high priest forever. And, and what we read early in Hebrews 7, it says uh, these priests were uh, prevented by death from continuing. Let me, let me put that to you in, in Texan. Uh, they up and died on us without telling us. 
They just kept dying on us, so we had to have a bunch of them. That's what it's saying. But here's what it says. But this new priest, we only have to have one because he lives forever. He's never going to die. And he doesn't need to continue to offer the same sacrifice repeatedly because he offered one sacrifice. And the reason he only had to offer one is because the sacrifice he offered was perfect. And after he offered the sacrifice, he sat down. He doesn't stand anymore. He sat down at the right hand of God because it was completely done. Okay, so now let me ask you something. All those sins I did before I got saved, are they under the blood? Yes or no? What about all the sins I did after I got saved? What about the sins I'm going to do next week? Not that I'm planning something. <laughs> but what about the sins that I might do in the future? Are they under the blood? Yes. You better believe it. Because he offered one sacrifice for all. It's done. It's taken care of. My sins are paid for. All right, so let me ask you something else. If I, have, if I had a good week last week, I didn't yell at Debbie too much. Didn't yell at the kids, didn't kick the dog, um, didn't yell at someone that cut me off in traffic, um, you know, uh, read my Bible every day. Uh, if I had a good week last week, is Jesus still my high priest? What if I had a bad week? See, you say yes, but listen to me, but you don't act like it. You act like you're close to God when you do right and when you do good. And you're not close to God when you don't. Now, I understand that we need to deal with sin. I understand that we confess our sins. I understand. I understand that we don't need to walk in that. But here's what we do. God, I was bad, so I'm going to beat myself up. And then we'll be even. No, we won't be even. The only way we're even is because Jesus was beat up for me. It's the only way. Jesus is our high priest forever. Here's the second unchangeable truth. Number two, Jesus is our mediator of the new covenant forever. He is our mediator of the new covenant forever. Hebrews 8, if you're still right there, you might have to flip a page. Hebrews 8, uh, verse 6. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. A better covenant which was established on better promises. Do you believe the new covenant is a better covenant? Do you believe it has better promises? Yes. Can you list those? See, it's very important because we understand. We say, well, we, you know, we're in a new covenant. What does that mean? Well, let me just give you two reasons why the new covenant is better. Okay, just, just two reasons. First of all, the new covenant can cleanse your conscience. The old covenant could not cleanse your conscience. Only the new covenant can. Uh, Hebrews 9, verse 9. Speaking of the old covenant, it was symbolic. Hebrews 9, 9. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered. Now watch which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience. Now, the word perfect here means complete. 
can't make the one uh, who performed the service complete in his conscience. Look at verse 13. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, those are all sacrifices under the old covenant, sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh. Now, verse 14, we got to catch really the first part and the last part to really catch it. How much more, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, want, now remember the first question, how much more shall the blood of Christ, now watch this, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this reason, for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant because our conscience can be cleansed. Uh, chapter 10, verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never, here's that word never again, can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. The law can't make anyone who approaches perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers, once purified, now watch this statement, this is going to shock you, would have had no more consciousness of sins. In other words, if the law could have made their conscience clean, they would not have had to keep offering all these sacrifices. But the law can't do that, but Jesus only had to do it once which means he can cleanse your conscience. See, if you don't have a cleansed conscience, in other words, if, if something doesn't take away your guilt and your shame, then we'll serve, the Bible, serve God through dead works. That's what the Bible tells us. Let, let me give you a definition. There's several definitions of dead works. One that's good is any work not initiated by God. That's a good definition. In, in regards to Hebrews, though, probably the best definition is a dead work is a work to try to gain God's approval. A work to try to get in good or gain God's approval when we gain God's approval by grace through faith. Now, this talks about being conscious of your sin. Now, I, I, just stay with me, okay? This is going to shock you. I, I heard a preacher say one time, the problem with the church is that we're not sin conscious enough. Okay. I 100% disagree with that. As a matter of fact, I think the problem with the church is we're too sin conscious. I know, I know this is going to shock you, but just stay with me for a minute. If Jesus has cleansed my sins, instead of being sin conscious, what about being grace conscious? Let me say it another way. What about being Jesus conscious? What about instead of always thinking about my failures... What about always thinking about his successes and what he did for me? Do you realize that you become like what you look at? Now, I know grammatically that's not a good way to say it, but it's the best way for us to catch it. You become like what you look at. You, whatever you focus on is what you're going to be acting on. Let me, let me give you an illustration. A friend of mine had a, a birthday party um, for his daughter. And uh, they were, all the kids got there, and, they, and so he went out in the backyard. He gathered all the kids. Kids, come here. Kid, come here. Come here. He said, got them all there. And he said to them, listen, we want you to have fun today. We want you to swim in the swimming pool and jump on the trampoline and want you to play games and want, want you to eat cake and, and just want you to have a lot of fun today. But he said, but look at me, kids. 
Look at me. Whatever you do, don't spit in this flower bed. They said, now listen, kids, I just want to tell you one more time. I want you to have a blast today. I want you to swim and jump and run and play and eat cake and ice cream. And just, I just want you to have so much fun. But look at me, kids. All of you look at me right now. Look at me. Whatever you do today, don't spit in this flower bed. And then he went inside and took up his place behind the curtains where he could watch and they couldn't see him. Here's what he said, not only did every child <laughs> spit in that flower bed, but most spat twice. He said, even my own kids who were in on it spat in the flower bed. Why? He made them conscious of it. He made them conscious of it. Listen to me very carefully. That's what the law does. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. And I'm not saying the law is bad because Romans even says that. Is the law bad? Certainly not. But if we focus on it, all, here, all I'm saying, all I'm saying, I'm not saying, don't, I, I, here's what I'm saying. Focus on the grace of God. Focus on Jesus Focus on walking with God, loving God, serving God, rather than on don't, 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 don't. Focus on the cake and the ice cream and the swimming. <laughs> and not the flower bed. So, and one, one other thing, and it's just an illustration really to show you, but the second reason the new covenant's better is because it's based on faith, not works. It's based on faith, not works. God compares it to the Abrahamic covenant, which was based on faith. God came to Abraham, said, I came to bless you. Abraham believed it was, righteousness was deposited in his account. That's what we said last week. And we'll give you an analogy of that. But you do understand when the Bible talks about the old covenant and new covenant, it's not talking about the Abrahamic covenant as the old covenant. It's talking about the Mosaic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant is compared to the new covenant because it's based on faith, not works. But the Mosaic Covenant, which is passed away, Hebrews tells us, was based on law. It was based on works. Okay, let me give you the example. I, I drew on the board last week, and, and a lot of you just, you even told me, boy, I got it. I got it because I could see it. Okay, I, I want you to visualize what I'm about to show you, okay? Um, here's the Old Covenant. God came to the children of Israel and said to them, I want to make a covenant with you. Now, covenant is where one person has a part, the other person has a part, all right? So here's what God said. Here's my part. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to provide for you. Uh, I'm going to be your God. Now, I, I am going to be your God. Everything you need, I'll provide. I, anytime you need protection, I'll protect you. I'll take care of you. I'll love you. I'll bless you. I will be your God. That's my part. You got it? The children said, yep, got it. Then God said, okay, here's your part. Now listen. Here's what God said, here's your part. You have to keep the law. Every part of the law. You have to do everything in the law. Every piece of the law. There's one whole chapter, by the way, in Leviticus. I haven't written yet. 
but it's one whole chapter about what to do if you get a scab. And I, I'm going to write chapters on the law. And you have to be absolutely perfect in everything that you do. Okay? And here's what the children of Israel, get this in your mind, here's what the children of Israel did. Okay. <laughs> now, see, we laugh, but listen to me. You did the same thing. God says, you've got to keep the law. Okay, I'll do it. You, you realize they broke it the first day? <laughs> they didn't even make it one day, and you probably didn't either. But here's the thing. Some of us have been believers for 20 years, and we're still trying to do it. Here we laugh at them, and you're not even a new believer anymore, and you're still trying to be perfect. Okay, all right, so that's the old covenant. Here's what happened in the new covenant. God came to me in a motel room and said to me, I want to make a covenant with you. Here's my part. I'm going to love you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to provide for you. I'll be there every time you need me. I'll be your God. I will be your God. That's my part. You don't know what your part is? Jesus, would you come over here for a minute? This is Robert. And... Um, I want to make a covenant with him. But I was wondering, son, if you would do his part. Would you go to earth and would you be a man? And would you live a perfect life? And would you keep the law in every part? Would you keep all of the law, never break any of it? In other words, would you live for him? But there's one more thing. He is going to break the law, and the penalty for that is death. So, son, would you also die for him? And Jesus said, I'll do it. I'll do it. And then the father said to me, do you believe that if he does this, that'll be enough? Would you put your trust in the fact that not only did he die for you, see, we, we seem to all put our trust in that, but he also lived for you. He lived the perfect life which you can never live. Would you put your trust in him? And in a motel room 28 years ago, I said, I'll do it. Now, here's the problem. 28 years later, am I still trusting that what Jesus did for me was enough? I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you through this message? It's very, very easy to go back into works. I don't mean we should, should not do good works. I'm not saying that. Please don't hear me say that. But when we try to do good works to get God's approval, it's dead works. 
And most of the time, we haven't received the unchangeable truths of grace in our heart. So that God's complete grace and forgiveness can cleanse our conscience. And I want you to receive these two truths this week. Jesus is your high priest forever. Whether you had a good week last week or you had a bad week, he's your high priest. He's also the mediator of the new covenant. And the new covenant is based on faith, not works. It's based on you receiving that Jesus not only died for you, but he lived for you also. We, we want to pray for you. If you're here today, South Lake Campus, North Richland Hills Campus, you may be even in, seated in, in an overflow room. We, we want to pray for you, though. We love you. We do this every week. It, it's, it's normal. You don't have to be a member of Gateway Church to come for prayer. But in just a moment, we're going to have leaders at the front. Both campuses, South Lake and North Richland Hills, and in the overflow rooms. We're going to have leaders at the front. So if you need prayer for any reason at all, when we stand in just a moment, you just stand up and step out and come to one of the leaders. Let us pray for you. If you're going through a storm, a, a, a relational storm, a, a, a storm in your marriage, your finances, your family, your health, we want to pray for you. If you're here today and, and you're really not sure that when you die you'll go to heaven, the Bible says that you can know. These things are written that you might know that you have eternal life. So if you're here and you need to come back to God or come to God, then when we stand up, you just stand up and step out and come. It's really not embarrassing. There'll be other people coming. You won't be the only one. Just come to one of the leaders at the front and let us pray for you. Holy Spirit, I pray you'll draw every person that has any prayer need in Jesus' name. Amen.